But let us now go to the word. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now please turn with me to Luke 22 and 41, where it reads, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. He knelt and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now finally turn to John 6 and 38 where our Savior says again for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. My brothers and sisters our title for today is thy will be done. Say it with me thy will be done. Now, Jonah has always been one of the most interesting characters in the Bible to me. He's known as a prophet, one who was sent to proclaim the word of the Lord. He is the only prophet in the Bible who was commanded to do one thing but he did the exact opposite of what God commanded him to do. God told him to go this way, and he went this way. It was not a mistake, a misunderstanding. It was on purpose, willful disobedience or willfully disobedient. It reads, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now that was the will of the Lord spoken in Jonah's life. Many of us spend a, a whole lifetime trying to figure out what the will of the Lord is, for our lives, and God spoke clearly to Jonah about his will for his life. This is what God wanted Jonah to do. But what does Jonah do? Verse 3 says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, at this time in the life of the Israelites, they are being harassed and attacked 
in their, in their land and in their area by a group of people, the nation of the Assyrians. The Assyrians would come in and raid and rape and pillage and burn the fields and kidnap the women and children and save them and sell them into slavery and just wreak pure havoc on the land of the Israelites. So Jonah, like everybody else, had very good reason to hate the Assyrians. I mean, he hated the Assyrians. So one of the greatest cities in the Assyrian territory was the city of Nineveh. A city with about 120,000 Assyrians in it. And that's where God told Jonah to go prophesy. Now on the surface, one might think that since Jonah hated the folks in Nineveh, that he would have had no problem going to cry out against them. I mean, I would love going to tell people that I did not like that God was about to destroy them. Don't act like I'm the only one up in here that would love to. <laughs> God gonna get you, and I'm gonna be there. I love it. I can't wait. But you see, Jonah knew that if he went to cry out against Nineveh, then they would have a chance to repent and not face the justice of God. And Jonah did not want them to have a chance to be forgiven. He just wanted God to wipe them out. But that's what Jonah wanted. That was his will. So instead of dealing with all of that, Jonah goes way down to Joppa and catches a ship to Tarshish, which is, as we said, in the opposite direction from Nineveh. I love how he thought that he could get away from God by leaving the geographical area. It was a belief held by many at that time. It shows itself in our text where they thought he could go down to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord as if God only created that area where he lived. They didn't know that God is God everywhere. I said, God is God everywhere. And God in all of his power using the tools at his disposal and commanding the great storm and a real big fish gets Jonah right where he is supposed to be. So Jonah reluctantly goes into the city of Nineveh and tells the people that God is going to destroy the city in 40 days. He went around for the next three days preaching that word that God is going to destroy you in 40 days because of your wickedness. But something very unexpected happened. The people of Nineveh actually heard what Jonah had to say. They repented and they turned to the Lord. I mean, they were so serious about turning to the Lord that the king of Nineveh decreed that the entire kingdom was going to go on a fast and repent and that everybody had to wear sackcloth and they had to cry out mightily to God for forgiveness. 
Jonah 3 and 8 says they even had the animals wearing sackcloth. <laughs> I mean, they were serious. It's right there in the word, Jonah 3 and 8. Even the pets were walking around with sackcloth on. They were so sincere and contrite in their spirits and asking for God's forgiveness that God actually forgave them and decided not to destroy them. Amen. This lets us know that no matter how wrong we have been, that if we come to God and ask his forgiveness and really mean it, he will forgive us if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn and seek my face. I will forgive them and heal their land. And if that's too big, 1 John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, not just some, but all unrighteousness. Oh, let's give the Lord another praise. Hallelujah. Hmm. For a second there, I just thought about what he brought me from. <laughs> but how many of you know that not everybody is happy about God's forgiveness? I know that there are many of us, and maybe a few even here today, that have people that we know of that to us, in our minds, are completely undeserving of God's forgiveness. There are groups of people and or individuals that we believe are beyond the reach of God's forgiveness, or at least we hope that they are. We hope that they burst hell wide open when they hit it. Oh, I know I'm the only one that has thought like that. Everyone in here has a group or a person or someone that you've been in contact with or someone that has hurt you so badly that you would love for God to wreak vengeance down on them. We want God's mercy to reign in our lives, but we want his justice to rain down on somebody else's. I know I'm up in somebody's business here, so let's keep on talking about Jonah. Amen. I know we might not be able to let that out yet. <laughs> But Brother Jonah actually had the nerve to get angry because God forgave the people of Nineveh. And he wasn't going to destroy him like Jonah wanted him to. Jonah, in the, after he had prophesied, he even went to a hillside on the side of Nineveh so he could sit up high and look at God destroy the people of Nineveh. He wanted a front row seat. Even took a sack lunch so he could sit there like eating popcorn watching God just destroy his enemies. But God had to remind Jonah that he as God calls and forgives whom he wants to. And he does not care what we think about it or them. He had to remind Jonah that you know those people who you don't like are my children too. Those people who you hate are also my children. I created you and I created 
them. And it is my desire that all of my children would be saved. Amen. But it's also a warning for us not to walk around thinking that we know and we can dictate whose life God is moving in. There might be someone out there that does not fit your bill of what it means to be close to God, does not fit your standard of what it means to be holy, but they are God's child too. And what God is doing in their life is none of your business. All you have to do is be ready if God tells you to move in their life. Thy will be done. But Jonah ultimately learns that it is not about him and his will and what he wanted, but it's all about God's will and what God's will is. But if you look closer, you can see that Jonah got his will from the same place that all of us get our wills and perspectives from. Our experiences is where they come from, our, our environments, our backgrounds, our, our parents, our cultures and our societies, our desires and our fears and our aspirations from all of those things that have formed us in the past. Each of these things, I mean all of them, must be brought under the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit. If you want a prayer for your life, you can start with asking the Holy Spirit to show you who you really are. Don't be afraid. It's not easy. Show him where you got your desires from. Where did I get this way of seeing the world, this perspective? Where did I get this from? And then pray for the strength and the courage to surrender all of that to him. You have to surrender all of that. And it can be a tough thing because so much of that is so closely aligned with our sense of identity, our sense of ego. You know, in order to do that, and I just preached it a couple days ago, it's a thought that counts, you know, that so much of that is tied into who we think we are. And to question that means that we have to admit that we might be wrong. And we hate to be wrong, right? <laughs> but as we now we look at our text involving Jonah... Then we'll move to our next text involving the word of Jesus. And if we look at that text again, we can see that there is an obvious difference between the way Jonah is reacting to God's will and the way that Jesus reacted to the way that God was expressing his will in his life. Now, most of the time, we only think of our Savior being tempted on the mountain, you know, where it says that, he was led up to the mountain to get tempted by the devil. And the devil, like, if you're hungry, turn this bread and this rocks in the bread and jump off of the precipice and everything like that. But, and he was also tempted in Gethsemane. But Jesus was tempted to exert his own will every day, every day of his life, every day of his ministry, not only while his life was in danger. For example, he could have been tempted after he fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Do you all know that right after he did that, they tried to crown Jesus king? Picture it. You've just done something great for your people. 
how many of us would have been able to res resist the temptation of being named king or queen for a day? The temptation had to be unimaginable. So much so that he had to disperse the crowd, send them away, and go up into the mountains to pray for a while. He lived according to God's will and not his own. It's how he was able to let himself be crucified for our sins. Our text says it. If it is your will, please take this cup from me, please. I do not want to die. Not only do I not want to die, I don't want to die like that. But nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. Not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want, but what you want. And there's nothing wrong with having a full, long life. Long life has its place. And, but long life, even though it's good, it might not be right. Even though Jesus living to a nice, ripe, long age, long age, old age of 50 or 60 might have been a good thing, it wasn't the right thing. It wasn't in his purpose. It wasn't God's will for his life. In John 5 and 30, he says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself, then my witness is not true. If I get wrapped up in what I'm trying to do and say, then that's not really real. It has been said that any man can face adversity. But if you want to measure a man's true character, then give him power. With that in mind, Jesus could feed thousands. With one touch, he could heal the sick. With one word, he could raise the dead and calm a storm. If he wanted to, he could have physically raised an army that would have conquered the world and started an empire that would still be in power to this day 2,000 years later. Now, if that isn't power, I don't know what is. But even in that, he let himself be crucified on a hill that he spoke into existence. He let himself be nailed on a tree that he himself created by people who he spoke and created into existence that he loved. I love my children, but I'm not going to let them beat me all up and run me all up and down the street. But our heavenly father wrapped himself in flesh, made himself a man, and let us crucify him on the foundations of a world that he made. Take a little few seconds, take a few seconds to try to wrap your mind around that. On a hill that he created. On a tree that he spoke into existence. When he said, let there be this, let there be that. Let there be this. He knew that one day he was going to have to go down there and let us torture him to death. 
The word says Jesus has been given all power in heaven and in earth, yet he still laid his life down before the will of his heavenly father so that we could have life and life everlasting. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise in here on today. Mm. See, Jesus knew that it wasn't about him and his own desires. It was about him putting God's will before his own will. Putting God's will before his own desires, his own ego, before his own dreams, before his own life. Now, before we judge Brother Jonah too much, we need to ask ourselves, how many times has God spoke in our own lives through his word, and we've done the exact opposite? How many times he's told us to speak to or reach out and love to someone that may have been hurting and dying, and we went the other way because we were tired or we would have been inconvenienced or we might not have liked the way that person looked or we didn't like that person or those people. Some of y'all right now are wondering if Bishop was actually hearing the voice of the Lord when he made me his co-pastor. Wondering if that was really the Lord's will. As if Bishop hadn't been hearing the voice of the Lord for the past 53 years. As if the same God that brought us from 5th Street and Adams isn't going to take us into the future. It's okay. We still love you. We going to keep praying for you. But God did not bring us this far to leave us. God did not do all of that, this greatness through this great man right here just to bring us to 2022 and 2023 and be like, well, all right, party's over. If God brought us this far, he's going to carry us so much farther. I love each and every one of you, and I want each and every one of you to come with us as we go higher. Because God is not through with West Angeles yet. Hallelujah. Oh, we might not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And I'm going to say it again. None of us are smarter than all of us. God wants everybody to come on in and we're going to lift this thing together. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hmm. I didn't mean to go there, man. We're going to get back on track now. Praise the Lord. Just, just kind of came out. I'm sorry about that. It just... <laughs> but the reason that I can't judge Brother Jonah too much is that I have to admit that I haven't had many more times in my life acted more like Jonah than I would care to admit. I'm pretty sure that all of y'all would have to admit that too. Many of us in our walk with the Lord have wondered what God's will is for our life. We've been wondering what our purpose is. We've been wondering, why, God, why did you put me here? I know that there is more to it than just this. 
Well, I'll tell you, first of all, his will for us first is that we would let him into our hearts and lay down our lives at the foot of the cross to be crucified. Somebody's like, what, did he just say crucified? Let me make it plain. That means that we lay our own desires at the foot of the cross. It means that we lay our past down at the foot of the cross. That we lay our guilt and our pain and our regret down at the foot of the cross. God is forgiving so many of us for everything that we've done, but we have so much trouble forgiving ourselves. Or the people around us have so much trouble forgiving us. God is be like, yeah, I forgave you. Yeah, but you might have to work it out with your mama and them because they're still mad. So you might need to go work on that whole situation over there. But for us who are already saved, you might already be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. For us who are already saved, it means that we have to lay down our righteousness at the cross. Our supposed righteousness. It means that we have to lay our future down at the foot of the cross. Our personalities, our biases our perspectives, our whole identity has to be laid down at the foot of the cross for the Holy Spirit to deal with what we think makes us, us. So your every thought, your every worldview, your every perspective, you see, if you've already accepted Christ, if you're already saved, your battle with Satan and sin was already won at the cross when Christ was crucified and when he rose from the dead. I'm sure we talked about that, that people think that the devil is your biggest enemy. Sweetheart, the devil been defeated more than 2,000 years ago. He is a defeated foe. He's already lost the war. I'll say it again. Sin and the devil were defeated when Jesus got up from the dead. Hallelujah. Somebody give the Lord praise. Mm. So I ain't worried about the devil. Excuse me, mom. I'm not worried about the devil. Mama said, don't be getting up there talking all that slang. She said it just like that too. So I'm not worried about the devil. And his Luciferian concepts of existence. But the reason I have to lay down at the cross now is because I need to be saved from myself. Apostle Paul talked more about the flesh, his flesh, than he did about the devil. Because the devil is a defeated foe. You need to be saved from you. Mm. Huh. I need to be saved even from the things within myself that I think are good or right. Why? Because they come from me. And what I think is right. They come from my will. Jonah thought that it was good or right for God to wipe Nineveh off the face of the earth. But that was Jonah's will. Not God's. We are supposed to lay every aspect of our lives down to be crucified with Christ. To lay down what we want, our dreams and aspirations, even the good ones at the altar of the cross and give them to our high priest 
which is Christ himself. Now, I know it's a scary thing to do. It's all that, that you think that, that makes you of who you are, but it says in the word that if a person seeks to save their life, they will lose it. But to him who lays down his life for my sake, he will gain life. You see, here's what I'm trying to say. Let me explain it to you. What the Lord is trying to tell us that is if we be crucified with Christ, we will also be raised with him in resurrection. Meaning that if I give all that I am up, the way that I think, all of my dreams, all of my desires, all of the good things that I want to do for people, and all that I think is right, if I take those things and lay them down at his feet as dead and crucified, he will give them back to me, alive, in a way that I think was possible, resurrected and glorified and updated and modified or whatever term you want to put on it, in a way that was much better than I thought it was going to be. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be a new creature. Old things having passed away and all things becoming new. How would you like a new you? A better you? He wants to make you bigger, stronger, faster. He wants you to live out of your true potential, out of your purpose. Paul said it himself when he said, I crucify the flesh or I crucify my will daily. This is a fight with ourselves that we will have to fight every day of our lives. We have to fight every day we draw breath to make sure that we are hearing God's will clearly for our lives and not what we think is right. But in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. I know I'm talking to somebody now who might be dealing with some kind of addiction. Somebody right now who doesn't think that they can quit nicotine, that doesn't think that they can quit pornography, that doesn't think that they can quit drinking. You are wondering, am, am I going to be carrying this thing with me for the rest of my life? I'm here to tell you right now that we bind that and we curse that and we speak victory over your life, whatever addiction you may be facing. God will not have you being a slave to anything. Amen. Anything. I know I'm speaking to somebody in the house of the Lord on today. Somebody online on today. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is liberation and freedom. That's what that means. That wasn't in my notes. I'm sorry about that. But every desire, every aspiration, every fear, Everything we think we want has to be carefully scrutinized and reflected on, and we have to ask ourselves where we got them from. What were we seeing in our lives when we decided that's what we wanted? How much of that desire is keeping you? It all has to be laid from the Lord, before the Lord. Now, it is our will that we would get whatever we wanted when we asked. Amen. I would love for the Lord to give me whatever I wanted. Amen. I'm not a lotto player, but I would love for the Lord just to bless me with winning the lotto even though I didn't play. How many people here could use a cool $64 million? Amen. <laughs> me too. <laughs> 
But most of the time it has to do with some kind of material blessing. The job we want or that's going to give us the kind of house or the car that we want or in our will we want that relationship or that we want to be in. It would be our will that we would never have to face a day of adversity. But life doesn't work that way, does it? God sees beyond your desires, our desires, and what we think we want. And he has a plan much bigger than anything you could imagine. I'm going to keep saying that. God looks beyond our adversity and sees us victorious. He says, for I know the plans that I have towards you, saith the Lord. You might have lost your job today, but I know the plans that I have for you. Your spouse may have left you today, but I know the plans that I have for you. They might have repossessed your car, but I know the day that I have for you. They might be coming against you, but I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. So if something bad happens to you, you can be like, well, that's not of peace and that's kind of evil. So that's not God's plan for my life. I'm not going to stay in this place. Thoughts that you would have a future and a hope. Amen. Sometimes we might not understand, but his will, his will, but things happen when you follow the will of the Lord. I said, sometimes you might not understand his will, but when you put your will in his will, things happen even if you don't want to do it. Peter and the sons of Zebedee had been fishing all night long and did not catch anything and Jesus while preaching on their boat asked them to go out to the deep and it was their will to quit because they were tired but it was Jesus's will that they go back out and they said nevertheless we will go back out because it is your will and they ended up with a net breaking boat sinking blessing not my will but thy will it was not the widow's will during the famine. It was the widow's will during the famine to lose her, use her last bit of oil and flour to make a cake for her son so they could die. But here comes the prophet saying, well, you know what? I know you only have a little bit of oil and flour left. Why don't you make me a cake first? I know y'all about to starve to death, but use a little you have, make me a cake, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens after that. And it was her will for her son to die, but it was God's will for her to eat throughout that famine. And as she made that cake, and as she made that, used that oil, flour, and oil, she made it, and then she went back to her stores, and for some reason, it was full. And her and her son could eat. After that, she went back to it, and it was full. That widow ate throughout the famine. It was her will for her and her son to die, but it was God's will that they would be fed throughout that famine. Mm. It reminds me of another story of a time, I guess it had to be around 1976, maybe 77 or so. Then Pastor Charles Blake Sr. had been serving as pastor of West Angeles Church on 5th and Adams for about seven or eight years or so. The gospel was being preached. People were getting saved. West Angeles was growing. Pastor Blake knew that if West Angeles was going to grow and keep growing, 
that we were going to need more space. Now, just to the north of the building on Fifth and Adams was an apartment building that had come into a bit of disrespair, disrepair, and the property came up for sale. Pastor Blake tried to talk to the owner, but for some reason, the owner seemed to be difficult, full of the devil. Hmm. It's almost as if he had a personal grudge against West Angeles. I don't know how the people of West Angeles treated him before Pastor Blake got there, but by the time Pastor Blake got there, he, that neighbor, hated him from West Angeles Church. He let Pastor Blake know that in no uncertain terms would he ever sell West Angeles that property. Now, this presented an issue. It seemed to be a very disappointing situation. At that time, getting that property would have been a good thing. West Angeles needed to grow. But God had something else in mind. Hmm. Look at your neighbor and say, God had something else in mind. Now look at your neighbor on the other side and say, God knows exactly what he's going to do. Now not too long after that, Pastor Blake got a call from his good friend, E.V. Hill. And we may have had Adams and Fifth Street in mind, but God was looking at exposition in Crenshaw. Somebody give the Lord praise. We may have had Adams and Fifth Street in mind, but God saw us touching the world. Mm, some of y'all don't get it. Somebody give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. That might be before some of y'all's time. That's all right. We're going to bring the youngins on up into the know. Amen. But I need somebody to know that God is going to work it out for the good. I need for somebody to know that when you put your will inside of God's will, things begin to happen. All things work for the good of those that love the Lord. Now somebody give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All we have to do is stay in the state of not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, not what I want, but what you want. Not what we think about things and situations and people, but what he thinks about things and situations and people. As children of God, this is what we are supposed to do. This is how we get closer to him. This is why we are asked to give to God's work. If it's too inconvenient for us to give or, or fast our money and our time, how are we going to give our lives to him? What God has for you in your future is so much more than anything you have planned for your life. What God has for you and your future is so much more than any plan, any future that you can imagine for yourself. He has purpose in mind for you. He has meaning in mind for you. I promise you that that which is crucified with Christ will rise with him. Not my will, Father. But thy will, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will be done, 
but thy will be done. Everybody stand up. I'm through. Everybody stand up. Hallelujah. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. for the people that I'm wanting to pray for are already saved you already know the man that I'm talking about you have been with him and walking through life with him for a long time now you accepted Jesus into your Christ into your life a long time ago but there may be some other folks who are here in the room on today who might be online who might not know this man sure you've heard about him but he might have been presented to you in a way that might not have been fully completely accurate the word says that he came that we might have life and life more abundantly and I think that in today's time they're representing Christ incorrectly but somebody here needs to know that Jesus loves you that our God loves you that he left all to came to give you everything that he became like us so we could become like him so that we could become redeemed so that we could become sons and daughters of God there may be someone here wrestling with their will right now thinking that if they give it all to Jesus that they will not be able to get the desires of their heart but the word says that if you give your life to him he will give you the desires of your heart the caveat in that is, if you give your life to him, he'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a heart transplant. And some of those things that you thought you wanted, which weren't really right in the first place, you won't want them anymore because you will be a new creature. A new you. A you full of purpose. A you full of meaning. That is what we are offering you today. 
So if that is you and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, just raise your hand on today. Hallelujah. It's okay. You're among friends. You're among family. There is no judgment here because all of us have to sit under some kind of judgment. There are no perfect saints and Christians here no matter what they are wearing. All of us are in need of God's mercy, even me. So let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Father God, that in the statement of thy will be done, there is life. There is healing. There is good health. There is prosperity. Because you will that we would have life and life more abundantly. We want to thank you that you've given us and brought us to this time, which is the right place and the right time. So, Father God, we pray that as we go throughout our days and our lives, that we would be able to say to ourselves, thy will be done. Even if we already know you, Father God, there may be someone here who has been coming to church for years. Give them the strength to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. And Lord God, we also pray for those who are outside of the knowledge of who you are, who have yet to accept Jesus Christ into their lives. And Father God, they are simply sick and tired of being sick and tired, and they are wondering if this is all that there is, but we come to let them know that in you there is life. In you there is purpose that they do not have to go through life in depression and in despair that you have given them victory. And we pray, Father God, that they will open up their heart and let you in right now so they too can live life in victory. Please repeat after me, beloved. Dear precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your Son to die for my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he came down to die for my sins. I believe that he rose again on the third day. And I ask him to come into my heart, into my life this very moment. I thank him for giving me purpose. I thank him for giving me meaning. And I will live my life from here on out in that purpose and meaning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Somebody in here just got saved on today. Oh, come on now. We can do better than that. Somebody in here just found new life on today. Well, my new brother, my new sister, we want to know who you are. We are not trying to embarrass you or anything like that or put you on the spot. But if that is you, just come on up here to this altar. We want to love on you. We want to welcome you to the body of Christ. We want to welcome you to the family of West Angeles. We want you to know that we will be a better church with you. We want to celebrate with you. If that is you, just come on up here right now. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory.
If you want to join West Angeles, hallelujah. Uh, if you want to join West Angeles, we want you to come on up front too. We want you to know that we are trying to be a better church as we move into the future. And with you with us, we will be a better church with you, but we can't do it without you. So if you want to be a part of the West Angeles family, we would be so honored to be able to walk into that future with you. So if you want to join West Angeles, just come on up. Make our family better. Make our church better by joining with us. Hallelujah. I can't let you know how happy I am to meet all of you today, to welcome you into the family of Christ.